Hello, and welcome back to season three of Bo My God. I'm your host, Bo Bradley. My pronouns are he, him, and they, them. For those of you who are joining us for the first time today, Bo My God is a unique insight into queer culture, history, and current events centered around the perspective of a non-binary trans man. Through the sharing of fact-based information and firsthand vulnerable lived experiences, BMG aims to build community, amplify the voices of others, and to ultimately bridge the gap between the cisgender, heterosexual, and LGBTQIA communities. Before we get down to it, I want to recap the last episode for you. So last time on episode 40, Queer and Overwhelmed, we returned to the queer alphabet to discuss Q is for queer and also touched on how Q is for questioning. We chatted about the history of the term queer, why there's nuance in the meaning and use of the term within the LGBTQIA community, and also shared an article from them which has the perspective of several different folks, I think nine actually, who self-identify as queer on what that term is and what it means to them. So then we dip back into mental health and wellness to discuss some tips and tricks for when you're feeling overwhelmed. We rounded the episode out with a short activity for you to do on your own time to help you manage your own needs and emotions when feeling overwhelmed. If you haven't checked it out, what are you waiting for? Let me take this moment to ask you to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media at Bow My God Pod and on YouTube. This podcast is all about education, community, and visibility. So we need your help to continue to share this platform with your friends, peers, family, and allies, and really with anyone who you think could benefit from the content. So what are we going to talk about today? Today, we have special guest and friend of mine, Amanda Ramirez, whose pronouns are she, her. Amanda works in HR for a tech company is on the board of directors for Cheer Seattle, and also is a cancer. Amanda, I'm so excited to have you here. I am so excited to be here. Thank you again uh, for for taking me up when I said, when do I get to be on your podcast? Of course, how could I not? (laughs) (laughs) So to jump right into it, we're going to start out discussing what it's like as a queer person to grow up in a religious household as a part of an LGBTQIA plus history segment. This is a portion of the podcast for all individuals to learn something new about real history that they may not have been exposed to before. It can include firsthand lived experiences, historic incidents as recounted and more. So Amanda, I also grew up in a religious household and my relationship with religion has changed drastically over the years. And so I'm really fascinated to have this conversation for you. So thank you for suggesting the topic. And I guess just starting at the beginning, if you're comfortable, if you could just kind of share some background and maybe your first memory of religion and why it stands out to you. Yeah. So I feel like my first memory of religion, I was just really young and this one always kind of comes back to me. Um, I just remember being maybe like three years old and just sitting in the church and watching all of these people around me just, you know, sing and do gospel. And there were people crying and there were people talking in tongues. And I remember just thinking, what is going on? Like it all felt so theatrical to me. And that's really like the first memory that always comes to me when I think of like my first exposure to the fact that my family was very religious was me thinking like, am I in a play? Like it was, yeah, it was really, it was a, it's a very vivid, a very vivid memory from a young age. 
Yeah, I also think it's super relatable though because it is very theatrical. There's there's like how you prepare for the different seasons and the different I, I don't know. I don't even know where to start with that, but there's there's a lot that's very like theatrical and performative about it. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, how religious is your family? Can you share some of that background? Yes. Um so my family is like generational religious. It's been like passed down. Um, so my grandmother on my mom's side was a reverend and my mom is now a reverend. Um, she just got like, I don't know, sworn in. I don't know if that's what it's called, but um, she like did the whole thing. So she's like ordained now. My dad is a deacon of the church as well. So we're very like I say we because I grew up in it, but they are still very much associated with the church, and yeah, it's been um a huge part of their lives. Do you think that their participation has like deepened with time, or is it have has it always kind of been this? No, it's definitely deepened with time from the time that I was like born until maybe like eight years old it was regular and then there was a large amount of time where they kind of they kept their faith but almost stepped away from it um and then i would say within the last maybe 15 years they've really just reconnected to their faith and it's a part of everything that they do in everyday life yeah it's kind of like one of those things i feel like where once it seeps in it takes over everything it does. And that's one of the, it's one of my hardest things with them. Cause my mom will make little jokes and she'll be like, Oh, thank God we found a parking space. And I'll be like, why don't you thank me? Cause I found the parking space. <laughs> so I have a lot of sarcasm with just how much it seeps into daily life. Yeah. <laughs> that's so fair. And so then how has this affected your relationship with your parents? Um, It's been hard. There was a moment in time, I would say, for about a four-year period where my contact with them was very minimal. And I just kind of went off and did my own thing in life and didn't want anything to really do with them. Um, And then I kind of came down to this point where I realized it was a little bit lonelier not to have them. So I almost did an ultimatum of like, I'm either going to go away forever or we're going to figure out how to have a relationship with each other. And that means that you can't talk to me about joining a church every time I come over. And so we really had to work on our relationships. And granted, most of that came from me. It was kind of me throwing my hands up and going, okay, fine. Like, how do I make this relationship work? Because as odd as it might sound to some, not having them in my life would be worse than, you know, having them, even though we do not see eye to eye on many things. They're still my parents. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Which I struggle with a lot. (laughs) Oh yeah. And like (laughs) setting boundaries is so hard with anyone, but I feel like with your parents, it's like especially difficult. It really is. And like, I've had to go to intensive therapy in order to understand those boundaries because I feel like for the most part I'm still stuck in that like honor thy mother honor thy father headspace and I feel like 
I want to make them proud so bad that I've like chipped away little pieces of myself. And so probably within the most recent year, I've learned that boundaries are okay and how to set them because for the most part, I never did. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you are growing up as someone who feels like you can't set boundaries or have respected boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. It's odd that I always felt rude or like I was the mean one for, you know, wanting to set those boundaries and wanting to not just credit their faith, but just, you know, I didn't want it to be every single topic. And I felt like the rude one when really I was the one being bombarded with faith consistently. And so it was me realizing that the effort needed to come from both ends. It couldn't just be me making all the personal sacrifices. Oh, absolutely. Especially like, it's just not sustainable over time. But I also am intrigued that you use the word proud because like in thinking about my experience with religion, it's something that I've always used to try and make my parents proud. Like I remember being younger, being like, I'm going to be a pastor when I grow up. That's something I want to do because I was like, they're going to love me if I do this. Like, how could they not? This is like the best thing you could be. And now I'm no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're like, uh, no. And I remember doing that too. Like in high school, I would use my summers to help them with VBS, which is vacation Bible school for people don't know that acronym. I would literally give my summers and I, the whole time I'd be like, why am I here? Like, I don't believe in anything that's happening here, but, oh, that's right. I just really want my parents to love me. (laughs) So I'll be here. (laughs) I mean, they did. My parents aren't terrible, but you know, it loved me more, like being right. the perfect child. Right. You wanted to be the best you you could be in their eyes to earn like that. Yeah. Feel yeah, <laughs> exactly. And to be the best child was to be a holy child. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And everywhere that I like moved to at first, I was like, okay, I have to find a church. And I would like go, like I lived in Florida for a little bit. I went to church for a little while and I was like, just no, nope, not for me. Then we first moved out here. I was like, you know what, Rose, I think I'm going to reconnect to this. I think I'm going to try this out one more time. And I went one time and was like, no, like, why am I still forcing this? I've like shed all of this other, all of these other layers of, rules and things that I thought I had to live by that once I got rid of them, I was like, oh, okay, I feel so much better now. And this is just like another one. Yeah. It's such a nice weight to lift. I lifted it so, so long ago, but I still have like that residual shame sometimes. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And I'm like, oh, that's right. It's coming from them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think too, something else you said, it comes back to um, the idea of like, you felt like you were the one doing something wrong, but I feel like it's because a lot of religions look at this idea of like, you are the sinner. You are the one who does wrong. You have to do what's best for this God or this whatever. And this is how you do everything that you need to do versus like, no, you need to make sure you're okay. You need to make sure you listen to your needs and your own body and your own. Yeah. There's like no autonomy. There really isn't. Like, I don't even call my mom anymore when I'm going through something. If I'm like, oh, I'm so stressed about work or my anxiety is really high today, I won't call because the answer is always, well, if you got closer to God, your anxiety would go away. 
And I'm like, it wouldn't, it's clinical. <laughs> like I, and like, we're all the same about my depression. She'll be like, if you found the love of God, you'd be fine. And I'm like, no, cause they said it's chemical. So like, I need, I need to be on my medication. So like, I don't even call her anymore just for those types of things because her answer will always be the same thing. Right. And I've learned that. So now I'm just, I, yeah, I, I can't hear, give it to God one more time. So I just don't call for those things. <laughs> it's so funny because when, so when I named the podcast there, I had a couple friends that were like, so is this religious? <laughs> I was like, no, no, not at all. And so for a while, there was like this running joke between a few of us of like, anytime I talked about religion or anything like that, I should be like, it's, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I like that. This is our religion. (laughs) Reaching the trans and gay agenda. Exactly. 25 minute episode at a time. And we need pamphlets and we'll go around to like people's houses. (laughs) Be like, can you hear the word of, oh my God? (laughs) All of the different like cult documentaries on Netflix are flashing in front of my eyes. I know, right? We're going to be the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So how has religion shaped your identity? Or do you think it's played a part in it? I definitely think it has played a very big part in it. There are parts of religion that I do keep with me because I don't directly associate them back to religion. Like the whole, like, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. I take into every day of my life. I do think a lot of my empathy comes from growing up in the church and being, you know, preach that. But I don't directly correlate it to religion because I feel like religion has shown me that not everybody follows that. I feel like in religion, it's more common to not be kind to others. And so I I do feel like it shaped me in the sense that I care so deeply about others. And I do spend my life trying to be the best version of me because for so long, I was told that was the only way to like live a fruitful life and that's how you're going to get to the afterlife and like all these different things. And so I feel like I've taken those things and kind of shifted them, I guess, into who I am as a person, but I give none of the credit back to religion. I have no idea if that makes sense, but it made sense in my head. It does. It's like, these are like the morals and the ideals you grew up with and they make sense to you. And some of, some of them (laughs) resonate with you, (laughs) but you're not like blindly like, yes, this one thing has given me every single thing in, in the world and everything goes back to this one thing. Yeah, definitely not. Cause I don't think that's, I just don't think that's the way the world works. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) So how would you mind sharing your coming out story? Oh, yes. I know. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was going to lean into it. And I was like, just going to ask. <laughs> Rip the bandaid. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I came out very young. And by very young, I think I was like three or four 
when wow. I told my parents that I had just a cute little crush on this girl in my Sunday school class. Like, I didn't even know what a crush was at that point. But I told my parents, like, oh, she's just so pretty. Like, I don't I was enamored by, you know, this girl and I that's when I kind of started to feel different, I guess, and I was so young, but it made sense to me in the moment. And they kind of played it off like, oh, she's just a little girl, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She, you know, probably just likes her as, you know, a really good friend. And so I never really spoke of it again. But then when I turned 13, I sat down with my parents and was like, it's only progressed that feeling that I felt in that Sunday school class. And I am a lesbian. Like I am attracted to, you know, people who are born my same gender at birth. And in the moment, I thought that it was going to go better than it did. I really did. I was like, my parents love me. Like that's how it's going to go. I was really wrong. Um, they did not take it well. They said some things that I'm still going through therapy for. Um, and that immediately kind of led me into realizing that religion was more important in our family than being your authentic self. And so, yeah, they flipped. Um, they kind of came together as a team and made it known that this was a phase. And if it wasn't a phase, they were going to make sure that it was. Oh, no. Yeah. So it didn't go good. <laughs> <laughs> I have to put humor on it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so fair. It's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, too, because I'm sure for you, that was like such a, well, obviously such a vulnerable moment that you're like, okay, here is who I am. And it is like this is, this is me and I love you and okay, cool. And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. They're like, absolutely not. This oh, is no. not going to be our child. And I remember them kind of flip-flopping. Like I remember when I first came out, it was like a hard no, the world ended. And then my dad would be like, actually, I'm okay with this. While my mom would be like, absolutely not. And then they would flip. Like they were never on the same side until they finally were. And that's when it got really bad. But I do remember them just like flip-flopping. And like, I also remember being told like, well, fine. It's okay that you're a lesbian, but don't be one of the boyish ones. And me being like, okay, like, what does that even mean? And so what did I do? I cut all my hair off. <laughs> nope. <laughs> because I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Like, whatever. So that made me so mad. So I went and got all my hair cut off and I came home and was like, I'm gonna be a boyish one. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just defiant to no end. Well, yeah, you were yeah, processing yeah. in your own way. Plus, I feel like a new haircut is like such a it's such a go-to move. I love that it you is. just went for it. I did. I grew up in like a really small town too. And a girl with short hair was like front page news. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's like no privacy. None at all. None at all. You think they correlated the short hair with you being a lesbian? A hun yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think that 
Yeah, I do think that clothes and hair and all of it kind of went into my, you know, sexuality. And I was always a very, like, I guess, tomboyish person. And then after I came out, I did feel more of a push from them for me to be a bit more feminine and like wear summer dresses and, you know, everything under the sun like that. So I think... I think to them, it was like a package thing. Like maybe if I presented a little bit more feminine, then I would like forget that I was attracted to women. (laughs) I don't really know what they were trying to do, but it was weird. Yeah. They obviously did not understand. (laughs) No, not at all. I, I have other, you know, queer people in my family, but this was the closest to home for them. And I just don't think they knew what they were. I always say they did the best that they could with what they had at the time. Yeah. And that's kind of how I maintain a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More than fair. Yeah. I didn't realize like how young you were when you like realized all of this about yourself. That's like, it's so cool because I feel like personally, I didn't have any of the language to even like come out as well I guess the first thing I came out as was a lesbian and then that's just because I like at that point I didn't even realize that there was more than just gay or straight like it's just it's interesting as my understanding of sexuality and gender and all of these concepts grows so does my understanding of my own and so it's just really cool and impressive to me that you had some of that like self awareness at that age i will credit a lot of it to my older brother andrew i remember coming home one night where i was from they would do these like seventh eighth grade dances every like i think it was like one friday a month and i remember i went to one and i came home and i told him that this girl had asked me to dance and i was so nervous and my palms were sweating and i thought i was gonna throw up and i told him like i don't get why i'm so nervous like you know i can dance with my guy friends and just goof around and i'm fine but she talked to me and i nearly ran out of the room and my brother so nonchalantly looked at me and said well you're probably a lesbian (laughs) and I was just like I'm a what and I remember like because I hadn't either I'd only heard of you know gay that was the only word and so I thought that was all-encompassing and I remember just just how nonchalantly he said it and I kind of was like wow okay and he's like it's cool if you are And like, he didn't care. And so I think he kind of opened that door for me to just be like, yeah, like I'm a lesbian, like mom and dad, I'm a lesbian. Like he just very much, I don't think without him, I could have went through everything I did and made it out the other end because he really kind of was just my rock in knowing that there are people who are just like, Oh, you like the color green? Cool. Like that. It was exactly yeah. like that. Yeah. I had a little bit of a shock with that when I moved here because when I first started, so I worked as a firefighter EMT in Pennsylvania and stuff like that. And then I came here and started working in the same field, but in an office setting. And so it was like a culture shock to go from people like instantly making like 
disgusting ass jokes or like sexual innuendos about my relationship or my sexuality. And they would just be like, you have a spouse. And (laughs) Rose and I both have changed have come into our identities since then. So at the time we both, like even when we moved out here in 2018, we both thought we were cis female lesbians. And it's like wild to me to realize that that was only a few years ago because it's like the amount of growth and understanding I've had within myself since that time is like quadruple the amount of the previous 20 some years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that though I feel like your environment is so important in going through that journey and the people that you surround yourself with it's just it's so important and I feel like it's so underrated having those relationships where people are just like okay cool like I feel like you don't always need like a huge validation or a million questions like it's so cool when you just tell someone oh yeah I'm queer and they're like that's awesome and the conversation flows yeah so yeah, I that moment with my brother was just like a it was just like a light bulb moment. It is it just yeah. That just that hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need those people. I always tell my brother, we need allies. He's my Brothers biggest ally. Kind of people. They really are. Yeah. I don't know where I'd be without my brother. They're just a, yeah, he's a special breed. I really really like him. Are you two still close? I'm assuming yeah we are very close he still lives in california with his wife but we have me him and her have like a little group chat that we just talk in all the time and yeah we are four years apart but we always say that we should have been born twins because we're just very very close he gets me on like a different level in terms of just we're both very dark awkward humans just trying to make it through life (laughs) he gets me (laughs) you've grown through the same traumas in some aspects (laughs) exactly yeah we we bond on that all the time now that we're older and we know how to like verbalize our traumas he's like oh my god that happened to you too and i'm like yes so yeah we can cope together now (laughs) and he married a therapist so it works for everyone that's so funny i know good for him though yeah (laughs) I feel like it takes a comfortable man to marry a therapist. Yeah, because she really has done a lot in getting him to like open up. My brother does not talk a lot, but she's really helped him in such a positive way. But he's also just like this gigantic, sweet, loving teddy bear. Like he's the cutest, like he's the most proud, self-proclaimed feminist you'll ever meet. And he's just adorable. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's room for queerness and religion to intersect? Ooh, I do. I very much do. I feel like when I look at religion, there are, I feel like, good parts of it. I think we as a people have made religion so negative and so bad. but. I just feel like religion, it doesn't have to be, you know, a man in the sky that you give everything to. Like, religion is whatever you believe in and whatever, you know, works for you. And so I do believe that there's space for them to intersect. I have many queer friends that, you know, are religious. I 
I feel like it's just a personal journey and finding the religion that, you know, works for you and the safe space that works for you. And I have done a lot. I've done a lot of self-work and trying to not make religion inherently negative. And so while it does not intersect for me, I want to be open and respectful of the fact that it does intersect for others. My experience has just been inherently negative and I just, who I am as a person doesn't believe. But yeah, I do think they can intersect and more power to you if you do, you're stronger than I am. I really like how you pointed out about how it's like individualistic for every person to have kind of what works for them. Because I think that's my biggest problem with organized religion is that it's kind of like pick the lane you want to be in, but whatever lane you pick, you have to believe exactly what they believe, each lane being the different religions. And I think more along the lines of where you are of like, I think that everyone should have their own connection. And like, I guess for myself, I don't know if I've ever actually officially said this out loud to anyone outside of my circle. So welcome anyone listening, (laughs) but I definitely consider myself to be an atheist. I just consider myself to still be spiritual because I think that there is some greater something somewhere, (laughs) but I don't, Like you said, I do not think it's some not white man in the sky. (laughs) No, I mean, I agree. I feel like atheist has also been where I've kind of rested down as well because I am a spiritual person. I do believe in the universe. I do believe there's a higher power. I do believe there's more out there, that there's, there's something, there's some kind of pool. But I don't think. Yeah, it's a dude sitting on a cloud judging my every move. That's <laughs> not where my my brain goes. But I pray, but I'm not praying to a god. I'm praying to the world. I'm praying to the universe. Hell, I'm praying to whoever will listen. And I don't quite know what that is. But it's just, I don't know, the energies and everything around me. You and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but do you think you'll have kids someday? And if so, do you think you'll share any sort of religion with them or would you just? So, no, Erica, my partner, Mm -hmm. for those listening, we both know that we are not having children. Okay. We, I have known my whole life, they have come to the realization and, you know, the recent. I would say years. So no, absolutely no plans of kids. And so therefore I don't have to worry about passing that along, which is very exciting. I, I, the generational trauma stops with me. That's where we're going. (laughs) (laughs) You can't hear that. There were snaps. (laughs) There were. (laughs) Like, did you see that school in Louisiana, the high school in Louisiana who sent, like over 2000 high school seniors to what was supposed to be a job fair. And it turned out to be a anti LGBTQIA plus service at a church. I did. And for those that are listening, you couldn't see my huge eye roll. 
ironically enough, Erica told me about this like two nights ago when we were sitting down for dinner and my blood just boiled. Um, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like the fact that they poured water on the queer kids, that they had the boys do push-ups and the girls like learned a mop or something was just wild to me. And it just, it took me back to being the kid in conversion therapy of going through the stupid classes of how to be a better woman. Like, I don't understand how they were like, oh, she's queer. Teach her how to do the dishes. That'll change her. Like, (laughs) I don't understand at all. So yes, when Erica told me about that, I almost couldn't talk about it in the moment. Like I needed a minute because just the, oh God, I just can't imagine what those parents were feeling and just the trauma that the queer kids went through that what seemed like so insignificant to the assholes, if I can say assholes, that planned that day is going to sit with those children for the rest of their lives because it only takes a minute to just get a very traumatizing moment. And so, yeah, oh. Don't ever let me go to Louisiana. (laughs) I don't know if there are many reasons to. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Sorry, Louisiana. I know. Uh, No hate. No hate. (laughs) No, but seriously, I don't. There's like so many things that come to mind with that. And part of it is I just don't understand how they like, why did you trick them? Like why you like knew what you were doing. If you're sending them like this false (laughs) advertising, uh, like permission slip for parents to sign that is like, here's a job fair where you can learn these skills and whatever else it said that didn't at all lean towards religion. Yeah. I, and it was a public high school, I think. Yeah. Just, just the absolute just balls of those people. I can't think of a better word. Just like (laughs) the absolute courage of those people that organized this, like, yeah, let's kidnap over 2,000 children and send them to a church and traumatize them. Like, it just doesn't, I I don't get people's mindsets. It. I sometimes forget because I've been very fortunate to grow up on the West Coast that there are just so many unkind places. And yeah, I, I grew up in a very red, you know, town in the in the west coast but never anything to this point and so it just makes me so sad for all of the queer children that are you know in places like that oh it just makes me so angry yeah it's terrible and i hope that i mean i know that the statistics probably aren't as optimistic as i am but that at least some of those kids had supportive households to go home to to like debrief about this because i know there's some that went home and couldn't say anything and i can't even imagine yeah yeah just the sadness behind having a day like that and then going home and maybe having the understanding that the two people that are supposed to protect you maybe believe in what happened or agree with it that's got to just be such a polarizing feeling yeah. Because I I've been there. I remember going home from my conversion therapy sessions and trying to tell my parents what was happening and they agreed with it. You know, they agreed with what was being told. And there's no lonelier feeling than telling the people that are supposed to protect you 
and then they don't. It's like, where do you go from there? <laughs> so how did you get into conversion therapy? Like, how did that come about? So it started with the pastor at the church that we were originally at. My parents went to him and basically told him, told him what happened. You know, our daughter came out. He said that she is, you know, attracted to the same sex. And he basically was like, well, set her up for like a counseling session with me. Like it was essentially like sitting on the couch therapy session, but it was with a pastor. And I would go a few times a week and calling it therapy is very loose because I barely talked. It was pretty much him just telling me like, if you don't fix this, if you don't change, you're going straight to hell. You're never going to see your parents again. You're never going to see your brothers again. He would like use my love for my brother to be like, oh, well, your brother's in the Christian faith and you're not. So you'll never see him again. Oh my God. Yes. And then it kind of just progressed because I was not buying it. Like I wasn't the kid that was like, oh my God, you're right. Let me go to more church. I was like, no, this is not, you're not correct. And so then it kind of went into, I was, I had to always be at the church. Like if I wasn't at school, I was at church. And then also just like, like literally in their words, like learning how to be a better woman, like getting me ready to be a wife essentially, which again, I don't get how that goes together. Like I don't get how me cleaning a house is going to make me any less like queer like i can be a good wife for my you know non-binary partner so like thank you they're very appreciative of the fact that i can now clean a house really well <laughs> so it just it all backfired and then you know they wanted me to just like have more organization in life so i was essentially like partnered up with like the sunday school teacher and i became like her administrative assistant pretty much. And so they just kept me in the church at all times. I continued going to these weekly therapy sessions. Then I would go to these like group therapy sessions where we would, you know, learn different tasks. And at one point they made us write a diary log of every explicit thought we'd ever had about somebody of the same sex. Like as we felt them, we had to write them and then we had to read them in front of everyone and essentially be shamed and it was just the worst time of my life. And I eventually just stopped telling my parents what was happening because I figured they knew everything. Like I went to them in the beginning, they said nothing. And so I eventually just stopped saying what was happening. But when I got old enough to drive, I simply just stopped going and I did not step foot back in a church. And I have not until this day. Yeah. It was very hard. It it led to it led to me being a very disastrous adult because the way that I kind of saw it was no matter how I lived my life, I was going to hell because I was queer. So then my mind was like, let's live it up. Like if we're going, let's go with a bang. And it kind of took away any sense of self-worth because it was like, well, you're a terrible person. So yeah. be a terrible person. And it stuck with me for so much longer than I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard. It sounds extremely hard. And I'm so sorry that's something you've had to go through. 
Yeah, it was a, uh, it was rough, and I hate the fact that there are worse versions that people are still currently going through. The fact that it's still a practice that can legally happen makes me so angry because there are even worse versions. There's think I. I'm always so thankful I didn't get like electric shock therapy, which is used. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, to make a group of kids sit in a room and talk about their sexual thoughts and desires is just never okay. No, not for any child. No, not for any child, not for any sexual orientation. It doesn't matter. I mean, like, honestly, I don't think that's okay for any human. <laughs> no, never. And this was a room of like 12 to 15 year olds. Like that's it's, mortifying, especially at that age when you're just like even learning what your own hormones are like. Yeah. You don't know anything about exactly. that. Exactly. And so they were the most innocent thoughts. Yeah. It would be like we someone thought about kissing someone. It was just the most innocent sexual desires, as they called them. But it yeah, I don't understand where they thought that that would have any effect. I guess it was to humiliate, like, but it didn't work at all. (laughs) But it didn't though. Like, I'm glad that you were strong enough in yourself to just be like, this shit (laughs) versus just- I really was. (laughs) I feel like it could have so gone the other way though. Like you could have just been like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'll never think about this ever again and try to like live that. Yeah, and I thank whatever higher power is out there every single day for my defiance. I feel like my I've always been described as a defiant teen in a negative manner, but my defiance I do think saved my life because it there was it got very very dark. It really did, but I always kind of pulled myself out and I do not know how I did it. I do think a lot of it was you know, my brother and my extended family being supportive. I think if my whole family was polarizing to me, I wouldn't be here. But I had those few people that I could talk to that stood up for me that made a world of a difference. And they kind of helped me in my defiance. And they helped me in understanding that who I was was okay. And so, yeah, I do think without the right support system it could have gone vastly different yeah support systems are so important even if it's just one person yeah they can change your entire life yeah and it's amazing too just like how fast one decision can change everything yeah absolutely everything so i i turned 18 and i left that town and i never looked back and i didn't speak to my parents for years I'm just now visiting more. I'm repairing relationships. I'm making up for lost time. But I had to go away and try to piece back together what they broke before I could even, you know, come back home. And it's, there's, there's still so many things that I would love to say to them. And like, but for some reason, I can't. I feel guilty hurting them or, showing them what they did and so i just deal on my own i feel like that's also so relatable to so many queer people it's sad how many of us can't relate to our parents or have had similar experiences where we've had to 
leave or have left at a very young age and figure things out for ourselves. And then once we start repairing ourselves, we can go and start to try and repair other relationships. And I think it's really hard, at least in my own experience and some of my friends' experiences that I know, just kind of that you probably said it more eloquently than I'll recap it, but (laughs) just that idea of like how you can try and repair it and you can try and go and do the work, but it has to be two-sided and you have to have, there has to be give and take. It can't just all be give because then you're just hurting yourself even more. Yeah. And I'm, I live it every day because my relationship with my father is, we're good. Like we're the same people. We're not very talkative. We're super introverted and the love is just there. And he's like, whatever, you're my daughter. I'm proud of you. But my relationship with my mom is an ever challenging thing. We're to a good place, but that is because I keep us there. I make the choice every single day to not speak my mind because if I did, the relationship would be over. And It's sad because all of that oomph and defiance I had when I was a teenager, I lost in my 20s and 30s. And I am constantly making myself smaller to fit into this area where a relationship exists. Because if I am who I am, that's the end of our relationship. And it's almost like I'm always straddling the line of like, why are you holding on to something that hurts you so much, but it's because it would hurt more to not have it. That's good. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I still feel like a 16 year old that's trying to make her proud of me. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that feeling will ever go away. I honestly do not think it will. I think this is a forever thing <laughs> and uh, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My relationship with religion will always be a growing and ebbing and flowing thing. Um, But I guess I will just leave with the fact that I feel so cruel when I speak on my relationship with religion and with my parents because I have fantastic parents. They, there's nothing in the world that they wouldn't do for me. And so I have I feel bad when I when I when I speak about what I went through and I deal with so much shame and so much guilt and it wasn't until my therapist told me you're just telling your truth the things they did they did them and if those things are cruel you are not talking badly of them you're just simply recounting your truth and so even in talking I still am working through shame and guilt And I still feel badly sometimes for looking at religion in such a negative light, but it's just going to be a, a continuing, a continuing journey. Yeah. Forever and ever and ever until I die. (laughs) (laughs) That was my existential dread. (laughs) Echoes. Yeah. Ever. And ever and ever. It's like the sandlot when he's like forever. <laughs> That's my life. Also, the shame and go go right back to religion. 
they really do like gosh i know it's so terrible like i need to learn how to deal with the shame and the guilt because religion brought me this it's just you know yeah. i don't know <laughs> maybe i'm not as like over it as i thought i was <laughs> We are like directly talking about all the things you've gone through. I'm sure there's a lot of feelings that are. <laughs> I know. I'm going to like text my therapist after this and be like, do you take urgent appointments? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I love it. I, I'm an, I really am an open book, especially about this topic. Yeah. Because I just feel like it's such an important. It, yeah, it's just such an important topic that I feel like sometimes we stray away from and like we don't pay attention to the fact that conversion therapy exists and it changes you forever. Like, yeah, there's so many aspects of my personality that I'm like, is that my personality or is that trauma? And I think it all stems back to, yeah, 13 to 16. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Probably even before then. Oh, yeah. I kind of blocked out. <laughs> My life began at 28, two years ago. <laughs> I am learning so much about you today, and I'm learning how similar we are in so many aspects. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not obsessed I... with like the shit you've gone through, but it's nice that we can relate on so many different things. And yeah. And yeah. it's also. I think one of my favorite things and qualities in friendships is looking for people that I also know that they're like doing work within themselves and they're like being the best them they can be. And it's just, it's fun to see that growth in the people you care about. Yes. I, I love it. Like I, it took me a while to get to the point where I was ready to accept help. But now that I have, I'm like, oh, this is why everyone has been pushing me to like work on myself and like do the work and face everything that I've gone through. Cause I was scared. I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to remember. Like that's terrifying, especially cause like I, I don't like, I'm not ashamed of this, but I don't like readily share it. I've been sober now for nine years and so my fear was like, what if I open all of this and like it affects my sobriety? Like that was always where my mind went. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, it makes me so happy when I see the people around me healing, like from what they've gone through. It just, yeah, it makes me so excited for them. And like, I think everyone should be in therapy, whether you're self, if, whether you're like well-adjusted or not, like therapy is fantastic. Yeah, I don't think there's anything you have to lose by being somewhat introspective and just kind of figuring out what's going on in your own brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I have much more to go. There's a lot more going on in my brain, but I'm slowly, but surely getting through it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing at a time. <laughs> yeah. Like check that off the list. 300 more to go, but we got that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the last question I have for you, if you could go back in time and talk to little Amanda, what do you wish you could tell her? Run. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I think that I would just tell her that life's going to get really hard for a good amount of years. And a lot of people are going to disappoint you. A lot of people are going to hurt you and try to change you. 
but just, you know, stick to what you're doing and stick to the people who love you for you. And it's going to get really dark. And this sounds super lame, but the end of the tunnel is just so good because you come into who you are, you meet fantastic people, you join a queer cheer team, (laughs) you make fantastic friends, and you fall in love with the love of your life, and you really come into your own. So just keep going. I feel like the only advice I could give to little me is to just keep going when you can't anymore. Yep. Very important. That was some deep shit. It was, it was, but I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Gosh, little me. Look how far she's come though. Yeah. And I mean, to be completely transparent, I didn't think I'd make it this far. You know, I didn't, I didn't plan to hit 30 let alone 18. So it's crazy sometimes. Like I feel like, and I feel like people who, you know, suffer with clinical depression might get this dark sense of humor, but like every birthday is just like a little bit of a celebration outside of just being a birthday. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, I did it. I did it. I made it another year and I didn't expect to. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, too many years to come. <laughs> yes, to many, many years, to many, many birthdays, to many pride parades. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Seattle. Yes, to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Ironically enough, Cheer Seattle has like, done a lot of good for me. Same. So much. Yeah. Same. They're my first... I've never had a group of queer friends before, before Cheer Seattle. I only hung out with like heterosexual people. I like, I revoked the queer community. I think it was like a little bit of like internalized homophobia maybe, but I was like, I separated myself from it. And like now being in Cheer Seattle, it is so important. Like it is so important to have people that just understand you on just a different level so yeah there's my cheer seattle shout out (laughs) hell yeah it's it's palpable (laughs) to feel like if when you stand in a room of all queer people or all people that are just queer affirming and you just can like stand there and be your full self it's there's nothing that compares to that there really yeah there isn't and like i'm not I'm never the loudest person in a room and I do not make friends very easily, but I feel like I'm starting to open up and become a little bit more of who I am and kind of be myself. And it's just, it's really, it's really nice to have like what feels like a family, like all these people that you know would be there for you in a second. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Thank you again. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you. This was so fun and also really healing, I think. It was. It definitely was. It's good. It's good to put it out there. I feel like I shy away from talking about this because, again, it paints some people in my life in a very negative manner. But it's my truth. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I gotta gotta own that shit. Hell Not to yeah. mention, they'll, like, never hear it. <laughs> I don't even think they know what a podcast is. I doubt my podcast is on the top of their list. (laughs) They're like, we listen every week. (laughs) 
Unless the, the god part confused them. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, probably. Well, folks, it's time for today's affirmation. As you know, we will be ending every show with an affirmation because we often, as queer folks and humans in general, do not give ourselves the chance to feel our full potential, feel empowered, and feel like we're quite enough. Well, you are, and I'm here to remind you. And so this one goes, please repeat after me. My partner does not define my sexuality. Only I have the power to define myself. Identity is fluid. Okay, one more time. My partner does not define my sexuality. Only I have the power to define myself. Identity is fluid. All right, y'all, that's it for today's episode. Oh my God, thank you so much, Amanda, again, for joining us and for being so vulnerable and open and honest about your experiences from a very young age. And just, I admire you as a person and as a friend, and I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. And I appreciate you talking about this because not only is it going to help others, but it helped me too. So thanks for that. And like she said, don't forget to check out Cheer Seattle. And also don't forget to rate, subscribe, and follow along for more of your favorite queer and trans content. We're on most social media platforms at BowMyGodPod. Check us out at www.bowmygod.com where you can find out more information. So thanks. Love y'all. We'll catch you next time. Oh.